Have you ever wondered how people decide which church they'll attend? Of course, go back a little while in history, and you, there wasn't really much decision to be made. You went with mum and dad, and that became your church. But increasingly, people are looking more closely at church and asking the question, what needs to be part of a church for me to feel that I can serve God in that place? So people look for a church that welcomes. They look for a church that has really good music. They look for a church that has really effective speaking that is relevant for life today. They look for a church that has pastors and leaders that care and support. They look for an environment where there's mutual care and support, where it's a culture of acceptance and encouragement. They look for effective children's and youth work. They want to be part of a church where their children can hear about Jesus and come to faith in Jesus. All those things are important. And they're good questions to ask. Where would be a church where I can not just belong, but I can serve and grow and develop and serve others through that church? But it strikes me that there's actually a more important question to ask. Not so much about how comfortable I feel in church, but how welcome God is in his house. I recall a minister's gathering when I was uh, serving, overseeing a network of churches, and I posed this question. I asked the pastors, would you attend the church you're appointed to if you weren't the minister? That caused a few questions. And then my next question, so what would need to change so that it became the church that you want to attend? But the more important question is, How welcome is God the Holy Spirit in the church which Jesus died? We're turning for our reading this morning to the letter to the Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2. And we're going to be reading in a moment verses 11 to 22. In the 22nd verse, right at the end of this reading, we have this phrase. In him, in Jesus Christ, you too... You people are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. So Paul is suggesting that the purpose of the Christian church as we come together and join a congregation is that God would dwell in the midst, that he would be comfortable to be here, that people would become aware of a Father in heaven, a Savior who died for them, and the Holy Spirit who's here with them. Wouldn't it be fantastic if when people came to Carnforth Free Methodist Church, they not just received a welcome from us, but encountered the presence of God. So in times of grief, they'd find a place of comfort. In times of weakness, they'd find a place that brings strength and encouragement. In times of uncertainty, they'd find direction for life. Many years ago, I read a book by Bishop Payne entitled Reclaiming the Great Commission. You know the Great Commission? The disciples were commissioned to go in the world and to make disciples of all nations. In that book was this telling phrase. 
Bishop Payne claimed that the first century pagans became Christians because they experienced Christian community and they encountered the power of God. I think that's a very telling description of what church needs to be. That we need to be Christian community. Now, in the early Acts of the Apostles, it was very clear they were. They supported one another. They gave generously to one another. They prayed for one another. They saw God healing people. They were a Christian community, very different to any other secular club or organization. But also, God was at work there. Christian community and the power of God. So I'm asking the question of myself this morning, what would need to happen in any church congregation for it to become Christian community and for people as they came and joined us to encounter the presence and power of God, that life-transforming encounter with Jesus Christ through the person of the Holy Spirit. And it strikes me that as we turn to our reading now, that the verses that precede this description of the church as a place, a dwelling which God lives by his spirit, give us three essential characteristics of any church if they want to be a place where God is happy to be at work. So let's read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember, the Apostle Paul writes, that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcised, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility He came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And him, in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. So what are the essentials, features of a church that is a place where God is pleased to dwell and pleased to extend his work and his ministry? First of all, I'd like to suggest that a church in which God lives by his spirit is built to a superior design. The reference in these verses is back to the divisions there were in the Jewish temple. That there was a very clear 
distinction and division between Jewish believers and Gentile seekers. Do you remember the story when Jesus goes into the temple and he overthrows the money changers' tables? He was so annoyed that this house of prayer would become a a place of business because this was the area where the Gentiles should have encountered God in the temple. It wasn't so much the business that troubled him, it was the fact that they were excluding the welcome of seekers into God's temple. So he who once turned over the money changers' table to say to the Gentiles, come in, but only so far, through his death on the cross, tears the dividing wall, the, the, the veil of the temple in two, that makes access possible, not just for Jewish believers, but for all of us, into the very presence of God. That whilst there were divisions in the old Jewish temple, Paul is saying now in the Christian church, there's open access through Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. You've got to say the Jewish temple was not a welcoming place. On the wall between the court of the Gentiles and access to the temple area, these words were inscribed. No foreigner may enter within the barrier and enclosure around the temple. Anyone who, who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Seeker-friendly, I would say. Not, not at all, of course. So within, within the temple area, you may remember, there was the court of the Gentiles. There was a court for the women. There was... Uh, the outer court where the priests would would serve. And then there was the holy place where the priests would go when they were offering incense. And then once a year, one member of the congregation, the high priest, was able to go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. So the temple was all about exclusion. It was all about you can't, you're not qualified But Jesus is saying that within the Christian church that he died to build, he wants to tear down those barriers and he wants to make access possible for every one of us. So we would believe not that we don't need a high priest other than Jesus Christ who is the great high priest. We don't even need a priest to intercede for us because he ever lives to intercede for us. We can go direct to him. Access is available to the very presence of God through Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul writes to say, Gentiles, you were excluded. You were outside. You had no hope. But now through Jesus Christ, you are included. This is the nature of the church that Jesus Christ came to establish. Verse 12, once you were separated, excluded, foreigners without hope. Verse 13, but now in Christ you are brought near through the blood of Christ. For he destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. And through him we both, Jew and Gentile, have access to the Father by one spirit. Verse 19, no longer foreigners, aliens, but fellow citizens and members So we, if we are to be a place where God's at work, we must be willing to allow anyone to come in. But this union, this 
This overcoming of division is not just to say, all right, anyone has a right to do anything. It's through faith in Jesus Christ that we become one. I mean, there is a tendency in the Christian church to basically say we, we, anyone can accept, take any position and take leadership and authority. No, that's not true. It's those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, who've been called by him and gifted by him, and they can then serve in any area that God calls and equips them to serve. doesn't have to be Jewish, doesn't have to be a man, can be a woman. Because God's opening the way for those who he calls and equips to serve him. In the church which God lives by his spirit, it's built to a superior design than the Old Testament temple in Jerusalem. And through opening this way, there's access to each other and access to God. And ought to be no barrier Secondly, not only is it a superior design to the church that is where God lives by his spirit, but the church in which God lives by his spirit is built on a solid foundation. Look at verse 20. So verse 19 reminds us we are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household. Now verse 20, built on the foundation of apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In his letter to the church at Corinth, the apostle Paul claimed no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's the foundation for the the Christian church. For he laid down his life for our sins so that we can be forgiven. But here the apostle Paul is saying there's actually alongside Jesus Christ there are Individual ministries that are important to establish a church where God lives by his spirit. He calls Jesus Christ the cornerstone here in the church, but also says there's a necessary ministry of apostles and prophets. Now here we, uh, we reach a point where there is some disagreement in some sections of the Christian church about the relevance of apostolic and prophetic ministry in the Christian church today. Some would say that what Paul is saying here is that in the first century, the 12 apostles and people with uh, prophetic ministries established the foundation for the church and we are built on that foundation 21 centuries later. And it's true that those 12 apostles were unique in the sense that they were the ones that heard Jesus. They were the ones that witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. They had authority because they'd been there and seen it. Yes, they were unique. But yet there are others beyond those 12 who are also called and sent and equipped into new areas to lay foundations for new ministries. There is a continuing apostolic ministry, I believe. What about the prophetic then? Well, we believe that God speaks to us today and we can communicate what we believe God is saying. Of course, it's important that when we hear a prophetic word, we test it and weigh it to make sure it is from God and doesn't contradict what the Bible says. And certainly no contemporary prophecy adds to Scripture. 
But there is a continuing prophetic ministry as well. However, there are some churches that will basically say, no, the apostolic and prophetic was first century. We are left with the pastoral, evangelistic, and teaching ministries of Ephesians 4. But wait a minute. I don't believe that the Christian church is a skyscraper 21 centuries tall that had foundations laid in the first century. I believe the Christian church is a terrace building 21 centuries long that each generation needs to ensure we have apostolic and prophetic foundations laid that say Jesus is the cornerstone. That we still need people who will, like the early apostles, who will go into new situations See a work established and decide, is this a work of God or is this not a work of God? That's what the early apostles did. When they heard that there was a congregation in Samaria, they sent delegates to see what was going on. When they heard there was a church at Antioch, they sent Barnabas to see what was going on. And when they saw evidence of the grace of God, they were glad and affirm that work there's still that need for apostolic oversight that is able to say that this is of God and or like the apostles to say to Ananias and Sapphira this is not of God apostolic and prophetic ministries are still needed if we're to be a church in which God lives by his spirit we need to hear his voice we need to be able to say this is a God thing or this is not a God thing. For nothing grieves the Holy Spirit more quickly than as accepting us from God what is of man or worse still, what is of the enemy. So a church where God lives has got to have a superior design, open access to all through faith in Jesus Christ and the potential of any ministry for any individual if called and equipped by God. For there's access to the very presence of God. And there's a, a solid foundation laid. Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, is the foundation. Apostolic and prophetic people help to make sure that foundation is laid in any one generation. Teachers can explain it and pastors can care for the community. And evangelists can draw new people in. But the apostolic and prophetic is an important part of the Christian church if we want to be a place where people encounter God. Which brings me to the third point. So we've talked about a superior design, no barriers other than Jesus Christ, the door to ministry, built on a solid foundation, but also, verse 21, built with special stones. So we've had superior design, solid foundation, special stones. 21, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2, 5, writing to early believers, writes, you also, like living stones, are being built together into a spiritual house. I like that idea of living stones. It means the growth of the... If stones were living, 
the growth of the building is not just dependent on how many stones are in the building, but how big the stones are that are in the building. Does that make sense? In other words, the growth of a church is not just dependent on how many bodies we get into the service. It's how big a faith and how close a relationship each of us has with God that will actually increase the size, ministry, and effectiveness of the church. I also like the fact they're not just living, but the stones. They're not bricks, all the same, but unique stones. Uh, that you and I are unique, that we at times probably irritate one another and maybe clash together on one another. It isn't an easy fit together like bricks. But it's the roughness of the dry stone wall that holds it together as one stone locks with another. And there's a place for the tiny little fillings that go in the middle and bind the whole thing together as two rows of stones are built parallel, tapering towards the top. And then on top is placed the capstone, the top stone. And there's a place for the long, thin one that goes through and given the exciting name of a through. Um, Living stones being built together by a master builder as the Lord Jesus lays his hand on your life and on my life and finds us a place to serve within his church, he's building a building that his, to his glory and his praise. Last Sunday, we had a number of visitors and a couple we know very well came uh, here to CFM to worship. They were on holiday and, and popped in. And afterwards, uh, wife Sue showed them round the new building and, and they were... Uh, amazed and pleased and asked who designed it Uh, so much in such a a small space was basically what they were saying Uh, and we were were able to say well (laughs) it's difficult to say that because we had a go at it and the architects had a go at it and we ended up with what we've got Um, but people see it and particularly come in it and they say what a good design And it speaks of a a good architect. Wouldn't that be great if people came to church and saw you and me, very different people, different personalities, different backgrounds, different gifts, and yet we're built together so tight and so close, no one can create division amongst us. And they'd say, What a great architect. What a great builder. What a good church. Because it's a church where God's at work and God lives by his spirit. Many of you who are my age will remember David Watson. Uh, He uh, ministered in York at Michael the Belfry and was a speaker around conventions and conferences and the like. He wrote this, to evangelize without incorporating believers into the church is like making a heap of bricks. It's not enough for us just to do evangelism. Not enough to the football and netball uh, sports reach just to introduce people to Jesus. We need those people, those children, to be part of a family. (laughs) where they can be built together and encouraged, not just come to faith, but incorporated. Not taken over, 
released to be the people that they are, and a place found within the church for that ministry. One of the things I've loved about Canfus since coming here in 2009 is that God has brought people into the church with a vision and a passion, and we've been able to release them to develop ministries that we didn't have before they arrived. I think that needs to continue if we're to be a church where God lives by his spirit and people find a place, a healthy place. That's what we're looking for, isn't it? What do we want in a church? We want a healthy church. A healthy church with good relationships with God, good relationship with one another. We need the superior design. We need the solid foundations. And we need the special stones. And you and I have a part to play as we allow the master builder to construct something here that people find Christian community and encounter the power of God. I close with this. Three people walked past the house and said, that's my house. Now, what have we got here? A, A dispute over ownership? No, not at all. The first one that said, that's my house, said, I designed it. I'm the architect. The second person that said, that's my house, said, I bought it. I'm the owner. The third person that said, that's my house, was the tenant. I live in it. That's what God wants for his church. The father designed it. The son bought it with his blood. And the Holy Spirit wants to live in it and make us that place where people encounter Christian community and experience the power of God. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that you said, that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And Lord, we would see a releasing of the work of your spirit and we would see a binding of the attempts of the enemy to create division and suspicion. For we want to see, we want to be that dwelling in which you live by your spirit. Amen.